you know, the reason they, they like reading my stuff is that I've always got real life examples to prove what I'm saying. There's a lot of good people that listen to this podcast. You know, other than God and my family, deer hunting would be next in line on my list of priorities. From the bottom of our hearts, it's it's just fantastic and awesome to uh, to have the support that you guys are getting. People ask me about expandable broadheads and love swings. <laughs> Chasing Giants with Don Higgins and Terry Peer. Brought to you by Osseo Camo, nature's most lethal camouflage. Follow along as Don and Terry discuss the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Osseo Gear introduces a premium line of bow hunting gear that is unmatched. Pairing nature's finest camouflage with the best technological innovations, Osseo Gear brings whitetail bow hunters the gear they need to be the best at their craft. The unique camouflage mimics the intricate feather pattern of North America's greatest predatorial creatures. Designed for invisibility, built for comfort, and engineered for function. Visit osseogear.com. That's A-S-I-O-Gear.com to start shopping. Osseo Gear, prepare to be invisible. Well, hey, everybody. This is Terry Peer and Don Higgins with Chasing Giants, brought to you by Osseo Gear, uh, episode 101, and you're back on the road in a hotel room, Don. Yeah, I'm uh, still halfway sick, but uh, I've got such a busy schedule that I couldn't stay home any longer. I got back on the road, and uh, I'm in northern Missouri, Bethany, Missouri, to be exact. Hey, anybody that's familiar with that area has probably heard of Toot Toots Restaurant. And, uh, Toot Toots Restaurant? Anything yeah, good? It's fantastic. Anytime I'm in this area, I try to stay in Bethany so I can eat at Toot Toots. Mm. What's the uh, what's the preferred dish there? Philly cheesesteak? No, they've actually got a buffet. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, it's got everything on it. Really good. All right. Well, I was going to ask you how you were feeling. Uh, both of us were recovering from illness last episode, and I think everybody could tell based on the coughing fits and the uh, hoarse voices, but you sound a little bit better. Um, is are you just still a little fatigued or what's going on? Well, I'm still coughing some. I mean, I, I feel better than I did, but uh, I'm not 100% by any means. And not, I guarantee I'm going to be coughing before this is over. Yeah. Well, that's all right. So um, let's uh, let's circle back around a little bit on some things that uh, you posted on your social media this week. And uh, one of them is it looks like you got a little bit of work done on your NutriCrave food plot before you <coughs> got on the road. Yeah, we had uh, some really cold temperatures where the ground was frozen. It had been muddy as can be all winter. I mean, we just had unbelievable amounts of rain basically all year. I think last year was the wettest year of my entire life. But uh, it was cold this week and froze the ground solid. And I wanted to get in there and mow those uh, corn stalks in my NutriCrave corn plot because I'll go in there this spring and I'll no-till my soybeans in. Um, but I wanted to get those mowed at the first opportunity and I uh, got that done this week. So uh, what's the reason for mowing them now versus waiting till later, closer to plant time? Are you trying to break those stalks up so they rot quicker and, you know, become organic matter? Or what are we trying to do? 
Well, a couple reasons. There was a little bit of corn left, and I wanted to get that on the ground where the deer and other wildlife could find it easier. And uh, there's also right next to that patch is a um, switchgrass field that needs to be burned. And I figure if we can get them corn stalks laying on the ground and maybe deteriorating a little bit, uh, it'd be a lot easier to control that fire. We don't want the fire to burn through those and get into the sanctuary. So a uh, couple reasons for it. Well, one of the, uh, one of the uh, best events of the last master class of the day is the people who stick around. And as long as we have the right wind, uh, a lot of years after the last master uh, class gets done, we'll go back out that evening and, and burn a switchgrass field. So it's, it's pretty fun. So are we burning the front field this year? Is that the rotation? Yeah, the big one there by the, the house and shed. <laughs> So that one's that one's a doozy. So it's going to have some miscanthus in it, so people will get to see the miscanthus go up, which is always always fun. But uh, um, yeah, that's the biggest of the three switchgrass fields that you have. So yeah, maybe find I, maybe find a few sheds in there when we burn it. Well, last time we burnt that when the fire department showed up. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, but that all depends. You know, we don't commit to doing that at the master class because if we have the wrong wind, you know, we're not doing it. But if the wind's right for it, then, um, but we do have a good fire break all the way around that one. It's just the house is a little bit closer now. <laughs> yeah. We'll definitely be watching the wind. Well, um, there's another picture that we can give a little bit of an update that I'll share right now. And this is a, a some uh, acquaintances of ours that you turned loose in your section that put a hurting on some coyotes with some thermals one night. Yeah, I made a post looking for coyote hunters and um, Justin Rupke with Team Radical uh, and Nate Standifer and, and Nathan Cushman um, came out and they, I think they had nine coyotes by 9 p.m. and they ended <laughs> up with 14 by 1 a.m. and they called it a, a night because um, they all had to work the next day. But uh, I, I told them I, I pinned about 20 different spots for them to call from. And they, they weren't all on my property, but kind of in my neighborhood. And I told them that if you don't kill eight coyotes, you guys are worthless. You ain't worth a crap. <laughs> well, so is that a challenge for Justin or what? Yeah, it was. And uh, I, I knew they would they would kill several. <laughs> but, uh, at nine o'clock, he texted me and they had nine. So. They, they passed eight, and then uh, the next morning when I got up, I had a text that they'd gotten 14. So that's awesome. I was happy with it. Yeah, that's awesome. It put a put a dent in it for sure. Um, and and there's probably more to kill a little bit later in the year. I had a one of my coworkers got a Christmas present from his wife that he got to go up into Canada and hunt them, and uh, he he had just a ball. Um, I think he went up there right after Christmas. Um, I do want to, uh, one other post that I want to address that you put on your social media this week was uh, you shared a flyer uh, that Alan Robertson of the Duck Dynasty crew was going to be doing an event. And uh, I wanted you to explain that because I've gotten a bunch of uh, messages asking if we're what deer that you and I are taking uh, to this event. Yeah, I got those messages too, but... Uh... One of the guys, a friend of mine that's helping with this event, um, asked me to share it because of my social media following. He knew it would reach a lot of people, so I, I just shared it. And never said we was going to be there or anything like that, but people just assumed. And I got those same messages, but we will not be there this year yeah. anyway. 
I wish I could. Um, I really enjoy, for those of you who don't uh, watch it, I really do enjoy the podcast with Al and his dad, Phil, called Unashamed. Um, they talk uh, about, it's it's a longer podcast. Most of them last about two hours, but the first part of the podcast, they get an update on what they're doing hunting. And then the last part of the podcast is actually a Bible study they do every week. And as typical Robertsons, they go on rants and, you know, start screaming at each other and argue and bicker about different things. But that's that's kind of who they are. But I do enjoy that podcast. I wish I was available to go. Um, but um, just want to clarify to everybody that uh, that we're not going to be there. So yeah. um, aside from uh, habitat projects that you did this week, which was just mowing your corn. Do you have anything else that has to be done on the property before um, we burn that switchgrass and get ready for spring planting? No, that's pretty much it. Um, I got a lot of cleanup to do before we do the uh, master class just because of the house construction. Um, just got, uh, <laughs> I don't want to get into a rant right off the bat and sound ungrateful. I'm blessed that I was able to build a house, but uh there, there were some people involved that uh, just didn't uh, take too much pride in how they left the place, put it that way. Yeah. The um, Did you get your uh, leftover brick and rocks sold, or are they still there and available? I, I've got uh, some people that are interested, but me being on the road, they wanted to wait till I'm home to come look at them. So uh, yep. hopefully that'll get uh, removed before the master class. Otherwise, it's going to really cut into the parking. Yeah. Um, if anybody's interested in uh, brick and decorative stone, uh, go to Don's. That was on your personal Facebook page, though, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. So um, if, if I remember when I go to edit this uh, tomorrow morning, I'll put a picture here somewhere on the screen right now. If you're interested, you need to uh, get with Don immediately um, for when that's available. Um, I want to take a minute and we, we should have talked about this last week, but both of us were sick and probably not thinking real well. I want to thank that group of people that was in Missouri um, at that last um, seminar that you were at. You told me that they had passed a hat around to donate for Lester's feet, and I just received the check in the mail today. That was pretty awesome that they just did that as a little additional thing. I think you just said they passed a hat around. And everybody threw uh, donations in. Well, they actually had a five-gallon bucket, but uh, yeah, everybody just donated. To, um, but that that was a fantastic community of Amish Mennonites uh, down around the Miller, Missouri area. Um, I was there giving a the seminar for our dealer, Triple H Feeds, and uh, just uh, I, I was just blown away. There was over six hundred people in this little country school that came out th that night for the chili, I guess. They didn't come for me. I, I don't think I could draw a crowd of 600 anywhere, but uh, free chili and free ice cream brought them out. And uh, just a fantastic group. Yeah, and we really appreciate everybody that was there and contributed. We got an awesome uh, Lester's Feet segment that we're going to show in a little bit. But when we're since we're talking about um, – uh, speaking events, I'll go ahead and share this while we're at it. Uh, this is the next four events that you and I are going to be at. And this is probably, if I'm not mistaken, Don, is this pretty much it that we're going to be doing prior to master classes? 
Yeah, it is prior to Masterclass. The first weekend in April, I'm also going to be speaking at the Illinois Deer Classic. Right. But that'll be it. So next next uh, Saturday night, the 29th, I'm going to be in Huntington, West Virginia. Um, you need to call ahead on that one. He's trying to plan food and overflow seating because I think a lot of people are going to be there for that. You can bring your buck and have an official score, uh, put a tape on him and give you a certified score. And then on February 5th, you're at Extreme Custom Food Plots. And why don't you talk just a little bit about that to to control the crowd. They're actually selling tickets for that. All right. Uh, Scott and his wife are selling tickets. Um, but with the ticket, you, you get a, a, a discount on uh, real world seed or mineral products. So I, I forget what he charges, like 20 bucks or something, but that includes lunch and a $20 coupon. So you get all your money back and uh, right. there's gonna be two seminars, one about 10 in the morning and one about one in the afternoon, if I remember right. Uh -huh. um, just because of the, the crowd they're expecting, uh, can't handle that many people in one. Right, and then, um... The week in Shipshawana, um, I forget what was the, the dates on that, or the 17th, 18th, and 19th. On the night of the 17th, we're doing a live podcast. That there is not additional tickets required for, but uh, Friday night, February 18th, you have your debate with our friend Tony LaPrat. Right. And there's been a lot of interest in that as well. If I just talked to uh, Derek and Leon from Tag Out, yesterday um for a good little bit and uh they wouldn't tip me off to what the questions are and, and i actually told them that i want this debate to be fair I, I don't want um you know any advantage over tony it's not like we're hey it's a friendly debate anyway but uh you know keep me in the dark just like uh, you are him and put us on the spot there's really no prize at the end. It's, yeah. it's it's basically just to show different viewpoints and and debate them and let everybody kind of decide what's right for them. And because um, there's a lot of things you two agree on, and there's some things that you fundamentally disagree on, and I think that's okay. Um, and then finally, um, you're going to be with our friend Jimmy Hooks down in North Carolina at the Dixie Deer Classic. I believe you two have like a joining or, or boost next door to each other. So you'll be around the booth with Jimmy. Uh, he um, he made a post today. All of his shipment came in for real world products. So um, I believe that you can pick up products at the Extreme Custom Food Plots, the Ship Shawana Show and the Dixie Deer Classic, you're going to be able to buy your product there so you don't have to pay shipping. So great opportunity to to uh, save some money at all three of those events. And it would be a good idea to pre-order with those dealers so uh, they can set aside your order, make sure that it's there when you show up and they're not sold out. Yeah, and uh, one more shared screen here um, as I bounce around. Uh, we shared the new t-shirt design that's available for pre-sale on HigginsOutdoors.com. I've already had to up the order on these things because we've uh, got so many people that want them. So help us out a little bit if you want one of these. Uh, go ahead and get them. I will have some of these in hand, both in Huntington, West Virginia 
and at Ship Shawana. In addition, um, I hadn't showed you this yet, but these came in today. So we got new hats in. Uh, we'll be getting those on the website soon and have them at uh, some of these events for you guys that wanted them. You guys have been requesting them. We really, we don't want to sell this stuff, but we don't make any money at it, but it helps, uh, it helps the people that are, you know, in the business to print and stitch and stuff like that. So that's good, but it's, uh, it's, you guys have asked for it. So we're trying to give it to you. Yeah. It helps us get the brand out there too. So you're wearing your chasing giants hat or shirt. People ask you about it. You can direct them right to the podcast. Yeah. So uh, I know we're kind of bouncing through here a little bit, um, but the reason is we're going to try to get to five questions tonight. And as promised, one of the questions is going to take a little bit longer because you got some aerials that we're going to put up on the screen. So for those of you wondering why we're kind of running through this really quick, that's that's the real reason. But um, I think at this point, let's take just a minute and uh, circle back to our Lester's Feet Spotlight for the week uh, brought to you by Matthews. Um, I can't tell you how much uh, I talked to the folks at Matthews again this week. I can't tell you how much it means that a company is willing to basically sacrifice their spot in order for you guys to meet some of these families. So um, this is a this is a little baby four month old uh, named Waylon from Western Kentucky. Don and I were actually going to meet his grandparents the night of Guthrie, Kentucky event because they live really close to there. But if you all remember, that was the the day Don was in the emergency room with uh, the pinched nerve in his neck. And that was the night of the tornadoes through Western Kentucky. So we didn't get a chance to meet him that night. But my daughter, Kaylin, who works at University of Kentucky Hospital, has been able to go and meet Waylon. So we're going to play that right now. And thanks, Matthews, for bringing this segment to everybody. This is Waylon Jones. I'm Anna, mom, and this is Kyle, dad. <laughs> Waylon has been in the hospital since birth for four months with skeletal dysplasia. That's a fancy word for dwarfism. Uh, his form is with collagen. He has a, a collagen deficiency. And with that, he has a hard time with his lungs being big enough to support him. Um, his chest is smaller, so his lungs are having a harder time finding that happy medium to be able to go home. <laughs> As you can see, he has a trach, but he also has a G-tube, so he eats solely through his G-tube, and he is dependent on the trach and ventilator machines. Um, thank you for your support and your donations. Lester's feet has been amazing to us. Um, it is because of Lester's feet that we are able to stay so close to Wayland. Thank you. Do you want to smile? Can you give me a smile? Can you give me a
All right. So, yeah, pretty, pretty special story about that little boy. Uh, uh, we've nicknamed him officially the cutest baby in the world. So uh, he's a he's a, he's, yeah, they uh, they dressed him up tonight for all of you NFL fans. I, uh, we don't watch it anymore, but uh, they dressed that little baby up in a Bengals jersey tonight to root for the Bengals playing the Titans. So um, I'm sure he's he's down at Vandy right now. They transferred him to get closer to home. Um, and to clarify what, um, the mother was meaning on that, um, when they transferred Waylon from Lexington, Kentucky to Nashville to be closer to the family, they got within a radius that the Ronald McDonald house, they put them on like a next tier down, even though they're still, uh, over an hour away from the hospital. So what Lester's feet was able to do is we um, used our leverage to contact a Airbnb or I can't remember if we did Airbnb or one of the other services, but got him a really cheap rate and paid for an apartment uh, right next door to the hospital. So they were able to stay uh, there with the baby and uh, still we try to get him home. So thanks to all of you all who have donated um that's that's kind of cool that we can help a family stay together while they're trying to navigate that we sure appreciate the support and i'm sure these families do as well well let's divide this up a little bit usually um usually we have a regiment but let's go ahead and do one listener submitted question now if it's okay and then we'll do the buy farm segment so i'm going to share my screen here for the first listener submitted question of the evening Okay, the first question comes from Andrew Jones from Springfield, Illinois. Andrew says, Don, when it comes to betting in general, doe fawn, doe families, and especially mature bucks, do you believe in creating small betting pockets in or around hardwood ridges, void of thick betting areas for long distances? I don't mean to make this a discussion on the famed hinge cuts, but simply is it worth my time to transform timber stands where the ground is void of any life by cutting those less desirable trees and many of them to open up the canopy and allow for natural browse and bedding cover. Thanks for all you guys do. And should you choose to use my question, I don't need a duplicate shirt, rather send it to a Lester's feet kid to make his or her day. Let them know we are out here rooting for them and they are not alone. Well, thank you, Andrew. Appreciate that gesture. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. As far as creating bedding cover, I, I'm a big fan of, of bigger is better. Um, I would rather cut an entire woods than just to go in and cut little select areas. Um, however, you know, what you mentioned, cutting ridge tops or whatever, is better than nothing at all. Um, the more thick um, security cover you can provide on a property, the better off you are. But I, I'm just not a fan of, of creating little thickets. I just assume make as many acres as possible on any property as thick and nasty as possible. And those bucks will find where they want to bed within that cover. Well, I think your whole MO has always been hold as many deer as possible, not trying to figure out what deer you're holding and when you want those deer to stay on your property with bedding and food and never have a reason to leave. That's, that's oversimplified, but really it is a simple theory. Right. Um, you're exactly right. The more security that you offer, the more deer you're going to have on your property and the more deer you have, the more mature bucks you're going to have. I, I don't believe in the idea that if you've got a bunch of does bedding on your property or young bucks, that the mature bucks won't be there. 
those mature bucks are going to be in the safest place they can find in any area. And if that happens to be where there's a lot of other deer, well, so be it. That's where they're going to be. One of the thing that I've noticed here in Kentucky with having uh, deer season open the first weekend of September is usually in early season while those bucks are still in their bachelor group, they're bedding extremely close to the food source. They're not, they're not getting up and going a long ways away. So I do like the idea of doing a little bit if that's your only choice. You know, if you put some heavy cover next to that food plot where you could get in and had good access, that could be a phenomenal early season spot, you know, to hold deer. But just to say I want a tenth of an acre right here and an eighth of an acre over here instead of dividing it up, I think you're defeating the purpose. You want that whole thing to be as much of a sanctuary as possible. You're right, and I will throw out this caveat, Terry, that, that I do have a specific situation where I may not cut an entire property. Um, Steve Shields and I are going to do a video on this, so I don't want to give it all away here, but uh, it, it's only in very specific situations, particularly a large property um, with a lot of wooded cover um, where I've got a specific approach that that will be detailed in that video but for the average size property i, I want to cut as many acres as possible and i think you can do that um your 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 sanctuary um that you have on your place you went in and cut a bunch of trees but you still left the good trees that's going to be timber value long after you're gone for your grandsons and family so it doesn't mean you completely destroy it. It's what you're doing is taking the canopy out by taking the, the junk trees out. West West posted a really good picture of some old hackberries that he was taking out. I mean, that, that that's an old hackberry tree or an old locust tree doesn't have any value to you whatsoever unless you're burning firewood or making fence posts. Mm -hmm. Yep, for sure. So uh, maximize your your uh, every acre on a property especially smaller properties you get you got to maximize every square foot on that property to your benefit well i liked what we we talked a little bit about that last week and that is you know even on smaller properties properties it's even more critical to not over engineer it and not over intrude it um, right. the bigger the property the more you can kind of probably get away with a little bit so yep. But that's a great question, Andrew, and uh, thanks for the gesture. We'll make sure a kid gets the uh, gets the shirt this week for this question. So, um, Don, why don't we move on and uh, play the biofarm.com property of the week? everybody at Chasing Giants. This is Terry Peer and welcoming back Don Bailey, uh, co-owner, managing broker at biofarm.com. Uh, you were with us last week, Don, and showed us about a property that had an auction, but this week you have a hunter's paradise. I'm, I'm really excited to hear more about this property. Uh, yes, Terry, it's a 70 acres uh, located in Clay County, Illinois. Uh, if you're familiar with Clay County, it's just southeast of Clay City, Illinois, uh, has good road frontage, 
Uh, it's all timber, uh, heavy timber. There has not been a timber value put on it, but it's obviously got some trees that that do need to be harvested just to make the woods a better a better place. Uh, it has an older mobile home on it, uh, and it could be fixed up for a hunting cabin or a home. It, it needs a lot of work. But the biggest thing is it, it has the electric meter hookup, has a septic system, and has a well. Uh, so that part of it is, is done. Yep. So I'm looking at the areas on this place. Um, when when Don and I talk about properties, isolation is one of the biggest things that we talk about for a track of land and we tell people to look for. I zoomed out in the Google Earth link on this property, and I'm telling you this is a pocket of heavy timber out in the middle of open ag with only a little bit of woods right across the road. To the north, it's a ways. To the west, it's a long way. And to the south, it's a long way. Um, with the right management, you could go in here and, and really hold a lot of deer with open ag country around you. Yes, and that that is key. You guys you know, are the, are the professionals and know more about it than I do, but it's just common sense. Uh, you've got an isolated parcel like this uh, that hasn't been heavily hunted, uh, and you go in and put some food plots to where uh, when that crops are harvested, then deer have them food plots, you've got them. Uh, right. And then, then just go to managing them and not, not shooting everything. You, you, you do have a dream come true spot. Yep, you're out in the middle of nowhere. Now, you you mentioned to me before we started recording that this isn't a normal listing. This was an estate that part of it's being sold off. So this isn't a property that's been run with outfitters or anything like that um, or heavily managed that somebody could start from scratch with this, right? Absolutely. It's just crying for someone to come into it uh, for the turkey and the deer uh, to manage it, put some mm-hmm. food plots in and and have have game in mind sure uh it's it, it's not been not been trumped to death i went over all of it uh and some some tracks i go look at terry they've got uh we call them two tracks four-wheeler tracks all the way through them and across them and back and forth i did not see a single track across any of this property which means that it's not getting inundated with you know with uh, right. four wheelers and so on just so heavy on. sanctuary uh big timber in it like you said there has not been an appraisal done on the timber but there is big trees that that are shown on the website isolation with big ag around it so even though this property is is 70 acres i believe don it's gonna hunt a whole lot bigger than that and hold more deer just because of the big ag around the outside of it and, uh, you know, you really need to do yourself justice to go to buyafarm.com, search Clay County, and look at the 70 acres. Um, it, it, does, uh, it does have some um, property boundaries where the estate's been uh, kind of divided up, but the, the property here with road frontage, like you said, you could fix up that trailer, put another trailer in, build a house on it. Um, a lot of possibilities with this, but for someone who wants a hunting property and doesn't want to buy a ton of acreage, this is the type of property that you're looking for where it's heavy wooded cover out in the middle of nowhere. And that's, uh, properties like this, Terry, uh, 
I, I'm a salesman. I, I, I help start the company. But besides that, properties like this sell themselves. Right. Uh, it's 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 the one that the people are looking for. Truly. Yep. Uh, it's it's more or less got it all. Okay. So. Well, do you have anything else to talk about the property here? We'll we'll shoot people to the website. Is there anything else we need to talk about? Nope that that's about it. Uh, one one other thing, Terry, if if someone wants to uh, call and talk property values, I'm available twenty four seven. Even if it's not my property, I'm not involved with it. I am in the service business and and be glad to help. Uh, I get uh, every single land sale that takes place I get on my computer every one in Illinois uh, so I can help you with values and, and help stay current with values uh, and you know like I said I don't have to be involved in either it's, it's a service that I'm glad to be part of all right well this property specifically here um, it's due east of St. Louis um, just a little ways uh, south of I-70 um, great location for people coming from the Evansville, Owensboro side or east from St. Louis or south from Effingham. Great location. But again, the reason I want people to go to the website and look at this is this is a a bunch of heavy cover that's out in the middle of open ag. So uh, even though there is uh, a property right next to it that's, that's across the property line, because of this thing being in a state not heavily hunted, I think it's still got a ton of potential, even a building site, marketable timber, and um, I, I just saw here on the website taxes are only two hundred and sixty-seven bucks, so you can't beat that. Yep. All right. Well, leave everybody okay. your phone number for us, Don, and uh, and uh, if you have any questions on this property or any others, uh, why don't you give Don a call? Yep. Uh, my direct phone line is six one eight nine one nine ten thirty one. 1031 like the tax exchange okay uh, just look forward to your calls anytime all right well thanks for your time don go to buyafarm.com search clay county or look at the properties under don bailey's profile thanks for your help and your support of the podcast don we really appreciate it well thank you terry i always appreciate visiting with you folks okay all right well thanks to buy farm for their support we appreciate it um that property is um is a lot of what don and i talk about about being woods out in the middle isolated um even though it's got uh property line going through the woods that whole woodlot is out in the middle of nowhere so depending on who's hunting that neighboring property and how they're hunting it i think that could be a phenomenal spot so it's worth investigating for those of you looking for a property uh, this next question that I'm, we're going to show, usually I don't usually I don't see the questions ahead of time, but I saw this one because this one we're going to put up some aerials to go with it. Yeah, this one comes from Josh Keeter from uh, Capon Bridge, West Virginia. Uh, Josh says, hey, Don, I have seen a couple opportunities to pay for consulting services through email or at trade shows with just an aerial. At one of the trade shows close to my out-of-state lease, an exhibitor, exhibitor is offering this service. It is hard for me to justify full land consulting on property I do not own. So my question is, how accurate can someone be putting a plan together for me with just an aerial photo? I know you will not do this, and I just wonder why. You could do more properties each year and not have to travel. Always appreciate what you guys have to say. Keep up the great work. Oh, well, Josh. Um, 
you know, I consult on a lot of properties every year and have for a number of years. Um, probably looked at somewhere around for, for clients, probably, uh, I'm guessing three to 400 properties now. And every property that I've ever consulted on, I have seen an aerial photo before I showed up. And I'll look at that aerial photo and I, I will just automatically, I'll get ideas in my head uh, based on that aerial photo. And then I go and look at the property and I can tell you that at least, at least 80% of the time, I, I've got to totally scrap every idea that I had in my head before I got there that, that I got from that area. You just, the aerials are just so deceiving. Um, they hide details that you just can't see or, uh, you'll lay boots on the ground at a particular location that intrigued you on the aerial and it's nothing like what you pictured. Um, I have always refused and I turn these down weekly on a weekly basis. I get emails or messages from people wanting me to mark an aerial of their property. And I just flat out refuse to do it because I don't believe that I or anyone else can offer solid advice. And I just refuse to take somebody's money if I can't offer them solid advice. Um, it's just, uh, I, I literally think that anyone doing that's ripping off people. Um, that, that may sound extreme, but just based on my experience, and I'm telling you, I've looked at hundreds of properties from an area, and then, then I put boots on the ground. And you just cannot do a good job, period. Nobody can. I can't. Nobody else can either. Well, I don't, I know there's, I know there's people that do the email thing. I don't know who's doing it at a trade show because we don't go to that many trade shows anymore. So I'm not sure who that is. But the other thing that is, is so vital to you is that relationship that you're getting with your client. You learn not only about their property and how they want to hunt a whole lot better riding around in a side-by-side -side or a truck or walking the property than you ever would over email or a short conversation at a trade show. I think, I think that's the other thing that's nice about what you do is it starts that relationship where I've seen you busy in the middle of something and drop what you're doing because a consultant client calls you and has another question. Well, yeah. And to get to Josh's point, you know, I, I understand that not everybody can afford a consulting visit. Um, I appreciate that. I've shared on here before. I've been as poor as anybody at one time in my life, but is throwing a few hundred dollars for bad information. Is that an alternative? I, I don't think that's an alternative at all. I think that's just a good way to waste money. Uh, and, and I don't know, I'm guessing these, uh, marking these, um, aerials is not real expensive. I'm going to guess $500 maybe probably. I don't know. I'm just guessing two to $500. You might as well just take that money and burn it. Go buy you a good trail camera with that money. You'll be further ahead. You'll get more out of it. If you take that money and go buy you a good trail camera, than you will from information that somebody is going to give you based on an aerial. And I've got a couple of aerials that I sent Terry. I want to, if he'll pull them up, the first one um, is a square 40 acre property. Now, I pulled this off of Google Earth and I zoomed in on this property as tight as I possibly could to see detail. Now you take, if you own this 40 acre property 
and you send this aerial or take it to someone and ask them for advice, what what can they tell you? I mean, I just don't. You you got a square block of woods. What are they going to tell you? I, I don't see anything worthwhile that they can tell you that's going to help you kill a big deer. And let's move on to the second. Photo. I got one. Stay out of it. <laughs> well, there you go. There's but your you know, advice. You who wants to send me 200 bucks? I just did a I just did an aerial land consulting. <laughs> hey, here's a second property. This one's 120 acres. There's three forties there. So, you know, it's got, you, you can see a little bit of terrain and, and different uh, types of cover and such in there. And uh, you can see the access on this property is from the east side, that road that runs down the east side. Um, you know, the first thing, when I look at this area, the first thing that jumps out at me is that inside corner at number one. Inside corners, you know, are usually a good place for stands, but the question becomes, well, there are two questions, really. One, what is out in that open area? I mean, you, I, I don't think that's crop. You can see some scattered trees out there, and it might be grasses where there's deer bedding. So uh, without putting boots on the ground, how are you going to know um, what's there? Um Another real big issue is how are you going to access that? If that's your stand, how are you going to access that to get back there to hunt? Um, and another thing that jumps out at me is is number two. It looks like that area number two, it looks like somebody has cleared a little food plot there. Okay, that, that's great and all, but again, access is everything. How are you going to get there? Because if you look at number three, number three is an area that looks like it's uh, – not as mature timber. It looks like it's younger trees, second growth, if you will, regeneration. Maybe which, an old pasture or something. Yeah. And, and if that's the case, I'm sure that the deer are bedding in there. So you can't just say, well, you have a food plot at number two and a tree stand at number one and blah, 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 because there, there's just way, way too many details that you can never, ever see from an aerial. And here's another property that, you know, I zoomed in on Google Earth as I was saving this image and looking for details and such. And, you know, there's some things going on on this property for sure. But as far as how to hunt it, you know, where to put your food plots, how you're going to access your stands, where you're going to place those stands. I just don't believe there's anybody out there that can offer you solid advice from an aerial. Yeah, it's um, outside of what we say every week on this podcast. Keep intrusion down, accesses everything, and hunt the wind. That's really the only thing you can do based on seeing this picture. I don't see it, but. Yeah. I mean, I hate to keep beating a dead horse, but it's just, you might as well save your money. Yep. All right. Well, good question, Josh. Um, let's switch over here to the next question. All right. Question number three. Next question comes from Mike Gruber from Mosinee, Wisconsin. Mike says, hi, Don and Terry. Love the podcast. Listen every week and look forward to Don's seminar, picking up a bunch of seed at Extreme Custom Food Plots in a few weeks. The question I have is about planting switchgrass in wetter areas. We have a part of our property in central Wisconsin that's roughly 18 acres of marsh grass on the south end of our property. I'd like to improve if I can. We have a local technical college that would help with prescribed burning at a minimal cost. 
So I wanted to ask if it would be a good idea to burn this area, then plant switchgrass in at least some of the less wet areas along the wood line leading to the wetter areas by the ditches. Just wanted to know if switchgrass would work for this or if there's a better option. The marsh grass lays over flat after the first snow and doesn't offer any cover. Well, Mike, we get a lot of questions about switchgrass. And the reason that I picked yours um, is because for two reasons. First, in regards to wetter areas, real world switchgrass will do fine in wetter areas, depending on how wet. I mean, I've seen it underwater for, you know, under several feet of water for a week or so and survive and do fine once it's established. Um, the bigger issue is in, is in regards to site prep. Switchgrass takes a lot more attention to details than a lot of other things you're gonna grow. You can't just go out there and spray these marsh grasses as you're calling them. I have no idea what the grass really is. Is it, uh, it might be reeds, canary grass, but whatever it is, you have got to fully kill that stuff before you ever start with the switchgrass. And it literally might take you two years or more to get that grass killed off good enough to plant switchgrass. And if you try to take a shortcut, nobody wants to do the prep. We, yeah. we see it all the time at real world. We get in, in the summertime, you know, I planted switchgrass last spring and I'm not seeing anything. And, and okay, what did you do? Well, they, they didn't follow directions. Spent $2,000 on seed and didn't follow the instructions on site prep. And then they want to blame the seed or us when the directions were on our website, the directions were in the bag. We talk about it all the time. Site prep is everything. you got to totally, totally kill everything that's there. A good way to do that is go in and burn it um, late winter, let it green up, then spray it, and then come in in the first year and no-till a crop of soybeans in there. And then you're going to come back and, and those you're going to have weeds and stuff come on with your soybeans spray it again and those soybeans are going to canopy over they're going to choke out the, the next crop of weeds and you can come in and even harvest those soybeans if you want and then you've got a field of soybean stubble to put your switchgrass in but in a situation like this you're looking at a minimum a minimum of one year of site prep to get it ready for the switchgrass and if you try to take a shortcut i'm warning you people I don't want to see you waste your money on this high dollar seed. I want you to be successful. Make sure you do the site prep. There should be absolutely nothing growing on that site. And, and plowing, here's another thing. Everybody thinks that, oh, there's sod out there. I'll just go out there and I'll disc it up or plow it up and then I'm good. No, you haven't done anything. You've just cut the tops off of that root system. That root system is still alive and it's, it's going to sprout up quicker than your switchgrass is and it's going to choke it out. Plowing is not an alternative. The thing about yeah. switchgrass is it takes so long to get established. And the reason is it's doing the work underground. You know, that's, that's why it stands. That's why our variety stands through all these conditions is it's, it's working underground to get the base or the foundation established. And if you let that top side of that dirt get weeds, it, it'll choke that stuff right out. For sure. Absolutely. And uh, site prep. So, site so talking about wet areas though, so if it's if it's wet, if let's say it's a river bottom that the river comes up out of the, the banks every now and then, switchgrass would be a, a good alternative there. But if it's too wet to even get equipment in there year round, mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't waste my money on it. 
what's something else that he could do? Is there a type of cypress tree or something that he could go in there and plant instead? Well, there's a number of trees. Um, I would, I'd start looking at oak trees that hold their leaves in the winter. Swamp white oak and pin oak are two species that'll do fantastic in a wet area and they will hold their leaves all winter, all for good cover. Um, I would suggest starting with potted trees, get to some three or five gallon potted trees that are about six foot tall and you know, plant them about 20, 25 feet apart, just randomly scattered out there and uh, you'll have some fantastic bedding cover. But if you start seeing foxtail or, or not foxtail, but cattails and uh, it, it's so wet that you can't even drive a tractor through it in August, well, forget switchgrass. And switchgrass, switchgrass will allow you uh, areas that does get wet, but the bedding in a bag does not. Um, right. Switchgrass, switchgrass will take a little bit of wet feet, but bedding in a, a bedding in a bag has two other varieties of mix in it, and uh, it does not like being wet. No, the Indian grass and big blue stem that's in the bedding in a bag does not like wet feet at all. All right. Well, great question. Um, I bet, I bet we get. I'd hate to guess how many times a week we get asked this question. So hope that helps a lot of people, not just the uh, the guy who submitted that question. So here's the next one. Next one comes from Joel Smith from Ionia, Michigan. Morning, Terry and Don. On the last podcast, you were talking about how bucks summer in different areas than fall winter ranges. Usually most move out in the spring when the does start to fawn and go wide open woodlots and ag fields and bachelor groups. Why then is it so important to stay out and not do habitat improvements then? The bucks ain't there anyways. Yes, some does and fawns are there, but if you're doing most of tree stand work, access trails and TSI cutting and bedding areas in the months of May, June, why would that hurt the buck movement come fall? They usually don't show up till September and October. Just curious on that, don't know on human intrusion would hurt in them months if not there. Very rare do I get bucks that summer fall on my property. If I get pecs steady in July, August, about 99% I never see after September. Thanks, Joel Smith. Well, Joel, it's, it goes way beyond the bucks um, that are in the area. You're, you are creating a sanctuary for the entire deer herd in your neighborhood um a year-round sanctuary um you, you don't want to be spooking deer really at any time of the year um the reason that i like doing my habitat work in late winter is you can just see so much better uh, i mean who wants to be out there in june swatting mosquitoes and sweating your butt off i'd rather be out there in february or march get it done before it greens up get out and stay out and then it's got months to settle down but i understand exactly what you're saying it, it would seem to make sense logically that, hey, if the bucks aren't there, what, what harm am I doing? But you're really, you're creating a, an idea in the minds of the entire deer herd that your place is the safe zone. And that includes the does and fawns. So uh, the, those fawns that are going to be there in June, um, you know, five years from now, that might be the mature buck you're trying to kill. So keep that pressure down as much as possible all year long. I know I'm going to probably sound very sarcastic with this comment or analogy, 
but this is the equivalent of telling a kid it's okay to go play in the road when there's no traffic. You know, we're, we're trying to teach kids stay away from the road. That's a danger area, right? <laughs> Never go on and play there. You got to look both ways when you walk across it. You know, it's, it's, it, it's probably a poor analogy, but I think it is relevant to say the more you're in there and the later you're in there, you're just creating any bumping of any deer, whether it's fawns, does, whatever, you're still providing this perception that something in there can happen or something in there isn't right. And um, I think people try to overthink it a little bit and just say, well, I'm not spooking a buck, so that's okay. Um, I don't want to spook any deer ever. Well said, Terry. All right. I think we got time to get this fifth question in. Are you all right with that? I'm good if you are. All right. I'm going to pull it up on the screen right here and let you read it. Next one. No, we just did that one, didn't we? There we go. Next one comes from uh, Tyler Glenn from Traverse City, Michigan. It says, Don and Terry, thank you for the podcast that is very different from the others. You guys are down to earth and tell it how it is. Something society lacks. My question is for both of you. I am in my 20s and wanting to know how to get into the hunting industry. I see so many people try to do it through social media by tagging every possible account. But I think you guys have done it the right way. I absolutely love all aspects of whitetail deer hunting and I've only grown more obsessed with listening to your podcast. I know West Elks is a prodigy that Don has molded over the years. Thanks <laughs> for everything, Tyler. Well, Tyler, first of all, um, I, I think the, uh, the idea of what the hunting industry really is, is probably not accurate in a lot of young people's minds. Um, I, I think they see the glamour and all that, and they don't realize what really goes on behind the scenes. Taking my own situation, for example, you know, I, I strive, I'm 58 years old, and really it's only been in about the last four years or so that I've been able to make my living 100% in the hunting industry. You go to a trade show and you see these people working booths and what you don't realize is that a lot of those people have day jobs they have real jobs um their gig in the outdoor industry is a part-time thing um i'm one of the, the fortunate ones i've been extremely blessed that eventually i was able to make my living in the hunting industry but what people don't see is the 35 years or so that it took to get to that point you know, I, I was working on getting in the hunting industry before your parents were probably born, I'm guessing. Because, um, I mean, I, I, that's been my dream since I was a kid. And it, it's taken that long. So my advice to you, if you want to get in the hunting industry, first of all, you got to be different. Um, tagging, tagging companies on your social media post is not getting anybody into the hunting industry. Um, yeah, it may get them some free product. It may get them a t-shirt or whatever, but, but I guarantee you they're not making their living or, or making, most of them aren't making a dime in the hunting industry, to be honest about it, especially if, if you consider the, the effort or the expense they put into it. Um, you, you got to find a unique angle, but you also got to be yourself. And, and I think that one of the reasons it's worked for me is, is I think timing was everything. I, I think uh, 
10, 15 years ago, a guy that was as outspoken as I am, especially against some of the things in the hunting industry, uh, <laughs> the timing wasn't right 20 years, 15 years ago. It wasn't right. Today, you, you know, and it kind of follows along with the presidency of, of Donald Trump. You know, society got to a point where they were tired of having the wool pulled over their eyes and they was tired of being having their intelligence insulted and along comes a guy that just speaks the truth and he gets elected president well i'm a guy that spoke the truth and lo and behold people started listening to my podcast and buying my books like they happened before and that doesn't mean that that's the route that you need to follow you i'm just following the person that i am that, that was just my personality terry i'll tell you when we first met I was way too outspoken for my own good, and I probably closed more doors in the hunting industry than I opened with that approach. It's just that over time, that approach was accepted and, and it was ready. So timing was everything. Um, but I'm going to let Terry, Terry can probably offer you a lot more solid advice than I can because he, he's just, he's a much better business mind than myself. And he analyzes things and he sees them for in a totally different light than what I do. So I'm guessing because I don't want to be in the industry. <laughs> but you can probably offer better advice than I could. But but I come from it from a different perspective. I want nothing to do with the industry, so I'm not biased about anything. I I, I think it's a great conversation, and 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 we've talked about it some. Um, I can I can vouch for you on many things but one of them is you have not changed <laughs> to try to make yourself either financially secure or work full-time you have not sold out for anything over the years um i think the reason that you've had the success that you've had over the last couple years is obviously uh social media and um the internet have given you a way to put um information out there that wasn't there 10 years ago so you don't have to be affiliated with a big real tree team or something like that to have your story told the combination of you shooting and been on the run that you have with world-class bucks basically created the energy and the engagement so that your message is there but i agree 100 percent. i think that the times have changed enough to where it suits your position of just cut through the crap. Um, um, I think, I think that's the biggest change. It's not because we started working together more or I started doing some of your business stuff for you. I, I don't think that's it whatsoever. I think you've been who you've always been. Um, I hope maybe sometimes that you've heard, listened to me a little bit on when to pick and choose your battles, but, uh, I think that's just a uh, part of it. Um, I tell you what, I'm going to, uh, part of my presentation, my seminar that I'm giving in, in West Virginia, I'm going to give everybody a sneak peek of it. And it's a picture because I'm actually going to talk about this. This is what's wrong with the hunting industry today. It's this mentality. This guy is not representing a brand. He's not representing a product. What's he representing? Where's the focus going to? Yeah, representing himself. So I think I think if you want to be in the industry and you want to be appealing to companies like Real World or even even the sponsors that we work with, we try very hard 
to learn who those companies are, what their products are, what's different about their products so that we can be in line with what they want because we're representing them. Um, if you're if you're talking about being sponsored in the industry, you are a sales extension of what they need to get to customers or potential buyers. And I could talk for hours and hours about how the consumer buying cycle is different than it used to be. People don't go to trade shows anymore to decide what to buy. They don't um, um, read magazines and look at articles or ads as much as they used to. They're seeing influencing and ideas on the internet, and we all know that there's more garbage out there than there is good. So I think if you really want to buckle down and be something in the industry, learn how to hunt first so that you have the credibility behind it. There's too many people that's trying to get in before they're ready. And then the second thing is the people that you do want to represent or be affiliated with, um, you have to understand their business better than their employees do. And that, that takes research, that takes conversations, that takes networking. And then the last thing that I'm going to say about it is, is going to ruffle a lot of feathers if people listen to this, and that is don't sell yourself out. Don and I, even on this short journey of this podcast, we could have made a lot of money, people. I mean, a lot of money um, if we were willing to just use stuff that we normally wouldn't use. And um, that might not mean something to some people, but it sure means something to us. And if I'm going to challenge somebody that's young wanting to be in this industry, don't be like everybody else and sell out for the crap just because they want you wearing their logo on your hat or giving you a free trail camera that should be used as a wheel chalk to a trailer. You make a good point, Terry, on the social media aspect. I think the social media aspect gave me a platform that I would have never gotten any other way. I was an outdoor rider. There was no way that deer and deer hunting and North American whitetail was going to let me say the things that I'm allowed to say on social media. <laughs> and, and it's really allowed allowed me to experience the success I have. And I want to share two stories of two different young people that I've, I've had interactions with that had their foot in the door in the hunting industry. I don't think they're going to make it for, for different reasons. So the first young man came to me um, with some marketing ideas a few years ago. Um, he had seen, uh, it was right after I shot to Smokey and Mel and uh, he he had a marketing business and he thought that I was poised to make a lot of money in the hunting industry if I played my cards right. And he thought he could help me do that. And I, I was ready to work with him. I mean, I was actually in the beginning stages of working with this young man. And one evening I got to thinking, you know, I, I need to really look into who this guy is. Um, I'm getting ready to, you know, hitch up with him and and do things together. I need to really see who this guy is and what he's about. And so I, I did a search of his name. I got on YouTube and and uh, and Facebook and every every place I could find anything about this guy. Well, what I found was some videos. Um, this guy had made some hunting videos. One of them, he was in a blind, had a beer can sitting right there on the edge of his blind as he's out hunting. And uh, him and his buddies are cussing their fool heads off, um, you know, like a couple of drunken sailors. 
that was that immediately ended any chance of me working with that young man. I, I don't think I'm better than him. I, I don't look down on him in any way. But the last thing I was going to do was stake my reputation on on that kind of person um, or someone that was doing those kinds of things and putting it out there for the public to view. Um, the the other young man, um, I want to be careful about how I word this. The other young man got his foot in the door in the hunting industry, but Today, he strikes me as so, I don't even know what the right word is, so desperate, so desperate to be a part of the hunting industry that any moral values have been tossed to the side. He's, he's ready to grab anybody's coattail that he can grab onto to drag him here and drag him there. And in, in the process, he's hooked up with some questionable characters and he's promoted some questionable products um his his actions just scream desperation to me he's so desperate to be a part of the hunting industry that he's willing to forego um any sort of moral or ethical values to get there um and, and that's another person that i won't be doing anything with just because I don't want to be hooked up with that kind of person. So there's two young people that had their foot in the door that I'm not going to be working with in the future just because of their character. So like Terry said, you got to, you got to stick to your character. You got to have moral and ethical values. Um, you need to gain some credibility by killing some good deer and uh, you got to be yourself. I think that's advice for anything, not just the hunting industry. Wes, Wes Ducks told me the other day, you're an average of the, the five people that you're around the most. And, and what that tells me is you, if, if I'm a golfer, right, and I go, I go play golf with, and I'm, I'm, say, a five handicap, and I go play with a bunch of scrub golfers, am I ever going to get any better? Probably not. You, you want you want to have people around you in your circle that challenge you that teach you that that make you a better person but I also believe that you take people with you you know you reach back and you grab the people and bring them along um, you never want to be I tell I tell my daughter my daughter is is a very good my youngest daughter is a very very good softball player and I always tell her, you never want to be the best person on the team because that's not challenging you. You need to play at the level where you're not the best player on the team so that you get challenged, you get better. But you never want to be the worst one on the team either. You know, you, you got to be able to be in the middle and surround yourself with the people that you, it's, they're challenging you and you're also bringing people with you to make them better. And I think if you think about life, whatever it is, the hunting industry, uh, being a parent, being an employee, um, if you go about things that way and and uh, try to do things through servant leadership, God's going to create open doors for you that you're never going to even imagine. Um, I joke all the time on this podcast that I don't want anything to do with the hunting industry. And I know some people laugh at that. And I feel guilty saying that because I, I'm very blessed to to be in the situation that I am but I really believe that I'm in this situation not to have anything to do with the hunting industry but to have a way to unite people with the desire to help others 
through Lester's feet. I have no doubt that the idea of this podcast, the idea of me helping you uh, is all just a door that God opened up for us to do something better with our lives, to, to make a difference with other people. And unfortunately, when you look at the hunting industry, it's usually like that picture that I showed up there. It's, it's this, it's not that. So hope that helps and feel like I'm talking to my son. Well, you're probably you're talking to a young man that's about the age of your son, but uh, you just got to, you got to realize that the hunting industry is not what you think it is. <laughs> a lot of people out there have day jobs. Um, there's a lot of good people in the hunting industry. If you listen to Terry and I talk, you might think that it's just a bunch of thieves, crooks, and losers. <laughs> And, and that's not the case. There's some of those, but there is also some really, really, really good people in the hunting industry. And just look at the people that have stepped forward to help Lester's feet, for example. All kinds of companies step forward and, and even more are willing to step forward this next go round. This industry has a lot of good people, but there's also a lot of people just like society in general. There's, there, there's just a lot of shady characters out there. Just be careful who you saddle up with. That's the biggest thing. Yep, no doubt about it. All right. Well, what's your schedule the rest of the week? You said you're in uh, one more visit in Missouri tomorrow, and then are you? You say you're heading to Kansas. I'm headed to Kansas for a few days, and I'm headed home for a day, and then headed to Ohio. Okay. And then uh, when I get home from Ohio, I'll be home about a day, and I'm headed up to Extreme Custom Food Plots for a seminar up there. And uh, the next two, three months, well, three months anyway, I'm going to be a busy character. Well, uh, it's, you know, we're both busy when I don't think we even talked this week. I think tonight was the first time that we talked since the last podcast. We text each other about every day about something that's going on, but I don't think we talked at all this week. I was in Cleveland for business. You've been running around and both of us getting over the sickness. So um, it's, it's just a crazy, crazy time of the year. Um, Wes is busy. Also the real world office is slammed. So uh, we're doing our best to keep up, but uh, we appreciate everybody's support. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about um, um, these events, getting out and talking to people a little bit. And then uh, these master classes this year, I think they're going to be a blast. And, uh, it's not going to be long. We're going to be back out on planting food plots. Yeah, it won't be long at all. Um, I, I did have a couple of people uh, text me this week about the master class. If there's any spots left, one class has just a handful of openings, and that's the March 24th class. That is the only one. There's about five openings. March 24th, the rest of them are full. Is that the a Thursday or a Saturday? Thursday. Thursday. Okay. Yep. So anyway, um, we're going to make a big announcement next weekend uh, as it pertains to uh, getting the stuff ready for the raffle. So um, I'm I'm ready to finally talk about this thing. We're going to make a lot of big things happen, not only for this podcast, our sponsors, but Lester's feet this year. And uh, next week, we're going to we're going to release some pretty cool news. So hope everybody um, hope everybody tunes in next week and listens to that. It's going to be huge, people. Huge. 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 (laughs) All right. Well, we appreciate everybody. God bless everyone. Have a great week. 
Chasing Giants has been brought to you by Osseo Camo, Via Farm Real Estate Company, 360 Hunting Blinds, Victory Chevrolet, Real World Wildlife Products, Matthews Archery, Novix Tree Stands, Gingerich Tree Farm, WildlifeFarming.com, Quiet Cat, and Vortex Optics. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another episode of Chasing Giants.